Matthew chapter number 16. A scripture verse that I'm sure you've read. You may have never thought of it quite like this before. Matthew 16, we'll start reading in verse number 21. How many knows that Simon Peter always had something to say? Where it says, and Peter said, that's mentioned more times than all other 11 disciples combined. He was definitely the sanguine in the group. Sanguines are talkers. Sanguines call you up on the phone. Or while they're talking and then they've talked, filled up the whole room with their talk and then you say one sentence and the moment your sentence is done, here's what a talker will say. Well, like I was saying. You know it's true. You know it's true. And sometimes Simon Peter got it right. Just like in this, not the sermon, but just like the verses preceding what we're going to read. Jesus asked on who do they say that I am? And Simon Peter, you know, he got it right. On this rock. I'll build my church is what Jesus said after, after Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I'm sure that Simon Peter looked at the rest of the disciples and said, See there? You need to listen to what I got to say. And the very next thing he says, Jesus rebuked him. Sometimes he got it right. Sometimes he got it incredibly wrong. Let's read these verses. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus turned and said unto Simon Peter, Get behind me, Satan. For you are an offense unto me. You do not savor the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Lord, my prayer this day is, dear God, you give me the, the thoughts to say. <clears throat> Lord, I'll say them. God, if there's a certain place to where I need to camp for a while, you, and you nudge me toward that and I'll stay there. God, if there's things that I should not say, 
Lord, you move me from that into something else. Lord, I'll be attentive to what you want done here this day. And God, my prayer is that every person here today would be attentive as well to hear and receive gladly and joyfully. God, heighten every person's awareness, quieten every baby, wake up every sleeper. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve failed God. Years later, after they'd been banished from the garden, and there are four cherubims at each one of each different gate to where they can no longer get back in, and Cain and Abel playing outside the gates, looking longingly over the wall into what was a beautiful garden, saying, Dad, didn't you and Mom used to live over there? And he said, yes, son, we did. Dad, why don't we live over there now? And Adam's response was, your mom made us out of house and home. <laughs> All right, now let's get on with the sermon. In the garden, Adam and Eve failed God. In Genesis chapter 3, God promises a Savior to be born. The devil places it in Cain's heart to kill Abel. Why? I believe the devil thought that was the promised one that was going to be the Savior. And the devil wanted to kill the Savior. Why would that be? Because the devil hates the idea of mankind being saved. The only way that the enemy has to try to hurt, we could say, God himself, would be to go after God's creation, you and me. So every person that dies lost and goes to hell, that is a, a slap in the face to God. That is a way that the devil has to hurt the creator. The devil wants to stop for every individual. He wants to stop salvation. In Genesis chapter 6, God, God had instructed Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. In Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says that mankind was multiplying on the earth. In Genesis 6, 4, fallen angels then had sexual relations with women. And the offspring were giants. Why? The devil wanted to stop salvation. And the way to do that, knowing that the promised seed would be born, if he could co corrupt that line, there would not be a perfect salvation and a perfect substitute for everyone. In Genesis chapter 7, the worldwide flood came. And I might back up and say, <coughs> people ask me about, <coughs> what about that fallen race? And what about those uh, fallen angels? You can find that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, 
You can find that in Jude, verse 6 and 7. And you can also find that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, where the Bible does tell about that race of people, the fallen angel that tried to corrupt mankind. In Genesis 7, the worldwide flood happens. Don't listen to this bunk that says that was a localized flood. That was a worldwide flood. And just as the seam on a baseball goes all the way around that baseball, there is a seam that goes all the way around the world. And at that one time during the flood, that seam was unlocked and the fountains of the deep broke up and also the waters came down and there was a worldwide flood and there were eight righteous people that were left on the earth. Listen to what God says to Noah. I will never destroy the world with water again. The devil hears that promise as well, and he starts over all again with the same idea that I will corrupt the human race with these fallen angels. Because God's not going to destroy it with water. You know what God did? God raised up a giant killer, and his name wasn't Jack. It was David. And David, that anointing rubbed off on various people that he knew, and his mighty men all killed giants as well. Again, the enemy hates you and me. He doesn't want to see a single person be able to go to heaven. And if he could corrupt that bloodline, there would not be a spotless, perfect lamb of God to be able to be born meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, because the human race would have been corrupted. It gets so bad that in the Old Testament, we see where these giants have six fingers and six toes. They're slowly, that race of people are being, are being deformed. And again, the devil knew if I can deform the human race, the Messiah would never be. When Jesus was born, Herod tried to kill the Messiah. Why was that? The devil wanted to stop salvation. In Luke chapter 4, men try to throw Jesus off of a hill to kill him. Why would that be? Because the devil was trying to stop salvation. On the cross, I'm not one of these preachers that gives the devil any credit, but I'll say this much about him. He is persistent. And if you think you can get born again, the devil's going to give up on you. Somebody sold you a bill of goods. If anything, what's going to happen now, you're going to notice more stuff, and the devil's going to throw more stuff at you than was ever before. Because any old dead fish can float along with a stream, but you take a fish that turns around and goes the other way, now all this junk starts hitting you. That's right. That's right. So at the cross, people screamed. If you're the son of God, come down from that cross. Why would that be? The devil hates salvation and he doesn't want to see anybody be able to receive that and go to heaven. At the garden tomb, there are Roman soldiers placed there because the devil is going to try to keep Jesus in the ground and in the tomb because he hates salvation and he hates you and me. Now, the point of this sermon that you have never, ever heard before, chances are. 
Jesus called Judas when Judas betrayed him. How many remembers the word that he called him? You're going to learn something here. Jesus called Judas friend. Judas comes up, kisses Jesus on the cheek, signifying this is the one. It was a darkened night. You've probably seen there in the Passion of the Christ. And I think that's probably about as good as Hollywood could do on portraying that. And Jesus looks at him and says, friend, why would that be? It brought Jesus one step closer to the cross. And now we have got Simon Peter, when Jesus said, I've got to go to Jerusalem and be killed. Simon Peter says, oh, no, you don't. And Jesus says, get behind me, devil. Because if Jesus would have listened to that, nobody would have ever went to heaven. Nobody. And Jesus tells him that you do not savor the things of God, but you savor the things of mankind. To where I've got to stay alive at any cost and nothing's worth dying for. And as long as I stay alive, that's the only thing that's important. Hogwash. Hogwash. Not one person would be in heaven today if Jesus would have listened to Simon Peter. That's why he said, get behind me, Satan. He was trying to keep Jesus from the cross. And Jesus knew he had to go to the cross. In unmasking the enemy, there is a person in the Old Testament that better signifies what I'm trying to say than anybody I feel, anybody in the Bible. And her name is, anybody want to venture a guess? Jezebel, 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 her name means unhusband. She was married, but ain't no man telling me what to do. Her dad's name was Et Baal, which means a man of Baal. Eight million Jews had been corrupted by this one evil woman. And the reason we know that is in 1 Kings chapter 19, God tells Elijah, I have left only 7,000 in all of Israel that have not bowed their knee to Baal. She had corrupted 8 million people and they were no longer serving God. And right next to their palace in Samaria was a beautiful vineyard owned by a man by the name of Naboth. And you got to love this guy. And you got to love what his name means. Because Jezebel is married to an Ahab. And Ahab wants the vineyard that's right close by the palace. And he goes to Naboth and said, sell it to me. And he said, nay. The next day he came back and said, I will give you an even better price. And Nabo said, nay, 
I love this guy. Nabo says nay both times. And he said, I will not sell the inheritance that God has passed down through my family for generation after generation. I will not sell. And Ahab is in his bedroom, the Bible said, with his face to the wall, and in comes Jezebel and says, oh, how come you're not eating bread today? Because Nabal's got a vineyard and I want it. And she said, you're the king. If you want that vineyard, we'll get that vineyard. And she had false accusations drawn up on this man. And Naboth, they went and had him stoned to death. And while Ahab is walking down into his new vineyard, God speaks to a man by the name of Elijah and said, go down to Naboth's vineyard. It wasn't Ahab's vineyard. It was Naboth's vineyard. Go down to that man's vineyard and tell Ahab what's going to happen to him. And he tells what's going to happen to him and what's going to happen to Jezebel. And let me tell you what happened to Jezebel just as the man had forewarned 15 years earlier. Dogs will eat you until there's nothing left except your skull, the palms of your hand, and the soles of your feet. And that's exactly what happened to that woman. Let me tell you something about Jezebel. Without Ahab's authority, Jezebel is a serpent with no fangs. Elijah the prophet fights against the prophets of Baal, but the moment he hears that Jezebel wants to kill him, he turns and runs. This makes... Logically, this makes no sense. The guy has killed hundreds of prophets of Baal and now one lone woman. You heard what Marlon Brando said in that one movie. How many can do a Marlon Brando impersonation? Well, first you gotta be like this. Now, this is back in his slim and trim days. They asked him, who's stronger, man or woman? He's, well, woman's stronger. Well, why would you say that? He said, well, it takes six men to carry him to his grave, but it only takes one woman to put him there. <laughs> Woman's stronger. That was Marlon said that. <laughs> Elijah turns and runs through fear and discouragement. Listen to me. It wasn't the prophet's role to take care of Jezebel. That was the king's role. That was the king's responsibility. And Elijah will leave off the scene. He will anoint Elisha, and Elisha in turn will anoint a man by the name of Jehu. Which sometimes the J is silent, and it's Jehu. It's where we come up with the term, you little Jehu. That's where that came from, is that man in the Old Testament. Yehu gets on his chariot and he drives furiously. That little Yehu, look at him go. And he was the king and then God had placed in the king's heart 
to be able to deal with Jezebel. And Yehu drives furiously to the palace and it's not the prophet's role, it's not a teacher's role, it's not even a preacher's role, it was the king's role, his responsibility. And he goes up to the palace and in turn she had already heard the word that her husband is dead and her son is dead. And what does she do? She gussies up and puts everything on just right and gets all the makeup on and she's leaning out over the balcony as Yehu pulls up. And the Bible says that there are three eunuchs standing next to her. And Yehu said, throw her down. And these eunuchs had a bolster of faith and courage and they took her and they threw her down and he drove over her with his chariot and the dogs came and ate her body just like it had been said 15 years earlier. Let me tell you something about any Jezebel. Who did, who did she have standing next to her? Eunuchs, castrated men, men with no power. A Jezebel will always be surrounded, and even if, if she is married, it will always be to a powerless man. Now, if you're thinking about somebody right now, that's not my fault because I haven't mentioned anybody's name. <laughs> Nobody whatsoever. <laughs> Elijah stood against Ahab and Jezebel, but he couldn't bring her to judgment. It had to be the king. We see the Jezebel spirit in Revelation chapter 2. The church at Thyatira, listen to this. God said, I will put on you no other burden than what you're going through. Why did he say that? Because they were dealing with Jezebel. And it is a draining, it is a, a discouraging thing. And pastors who overcome a Jezebel spirit are promised two things. Number one, and this is in Revelation 2, number one, the Lord Jesus will give you strength not to be manipulated. Number two, you will be given the morning star, which is divine favor. Jezebel will sow division in a church. No church is too great or too pure or too big not to try to be influenced by Jezebel's spirit. And it don't matter whether it's Naboth's vineyard or it's a church vineyard. Jezebel wants to control it. See, the Jezebel spirit will say, well, they're just putting me in a box. Let me give you the pastoral interpretation of that. Jezebel ain't going to listen to no pastor tell her what to do. Let me read something here. Although Jezebel will seem to have prophetic gifts, her aim is to actually control those who, meet, who move in the prophetic realm. Number two, to increase their favor, such individuals often zero in on a pastor and church staff and then seek to find the weakest link in order to subdue them. Their eventual goal is to run the church. Number three, when confronted, these individuals will become defensive. They will justify their actions with phrases like, I'm just following God or 
God told me to do this. Five and four, often their opinion becomes the last word on matters, thereby elevating their thought above the pastors. Five, having impure motives, these individuals will seek out others desiring to have disciples, quote unquote, needing constant affirmation from their followers. Six, Desiring to avoid accountability, these individuals prefer to pray for people in isolated situations, in a corner or in another room. Thus, innuendos and false prophetic words cannot be easily challenged. Seven, eager to gain control, these people will gather others and seek to teach them. Eight, if married, their spouse is usually weak spiritually, unsaved and or miserable. They begin to dominate and control everyone in the family. I have been to the top of Mount Carmel. To the west, you see the Mediterranean Sea. To the east, you see the Valley of Armageddon. Overhead, those phantom jets are screaming. Those Israeli jets are screaming overhead as they fly low as there's an Israeli air base not far from where I was standing. And when I was there, the thoughts that I had, this was Elijah's stomping grounds. This is where he was at. And from the point where I was at, 12 miles to the east, that's where Naboth's vineyard was at. And Naboth was willing to take a stand. Well, it cost him his life. He was willing to take a stand. Thank God for people that do that. We wouldn't even be a country if it wasn't been for people that was willing to take a stand. He stood his ground. And the modern day version of this is a 39-year-old Dietrich Bonhoeffer who would not kowtow to Adolf Hitler. And when someone would mention Pastor Bonhoeffer's name to Hitler, he would go into a lunatic fit. And two days before the war came officially to a close, Hitler had Bonhoeffer killed. This is what the man who was officiating that day said. I have never seen anyone die better than that man. These are the last words that Bonhoeffer said on this life, in, in this world. For me, this is the beginning of life. And 75 years later, Adolf Hitler is still in hell and Pastor Bonhoeffer is still enjoying the bliss of heaven because he was able to take a stand when everybody else around him was not. Just like God blessing the church at Thyatira because they wouldn't look the other way and let Jezebel do just whatever she darn well pleased and whatever God told her to do. I just use them kind of quotes. What do they call them? Air quotes. My wife does it all the time. Air quotes. Thank God for people that's willing to take a stand even when it's unpleasant. And God blessed that church at Thyatira because they was willing to deal with someone who was trying to take control. Would you bow your heads, please?
Lord, in unmasking the enemy, the enemy will always come as something else, as a ruse to what he's really up to. And the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Lord, he does it in such a veiled way where most people are never even conscious of what's going on. Lord, you spoke through a man by the name of Paul, and Paul said, we are not ignorant. We are not ignorant of the devil's devices. We know how he operates. Help us, dear God, to know that as a church, we want to reach as many people as we can, and Lord, we want them to be saved because we know the devil doesn't want them to be saved. We know that the devil hates salvation. We know that the devil hates mankind. And God, we're ripping that mask off today, knowing that he is, again, wanting to steal, kill, and destroy. But Lord Jesus, you have come. We might have life and have life more abundant. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. Lord, I knew on the outset this would not be an easy sermon to preach. Lord, I do think it's needful. Help us, dear God, to know how the enemy works. And help us to move forward in faith. Amen. Lord, my life is an empty cup. Use my heart, but you lift me up. I'm face to the ground, forsaking my pride, leaving my will, my burdens behind. Yeah, all I want, all I need is just to be with you. Just to be with you Here I am At your feet Just to be with you Just to be with you yeah. I have come to the end of bed And there's nothing I have to bring Said I belong, you say I am yours. Nothing compares to knowing you more. And all I want, all I need is just to be with you, just to be with you. Here I am at your just to be with you, just to be with you, yeah. Oh, you made a way for me, oh, Savior, I'm yours forevermore, yeah. You made a way for me, oh, Savior, I'm yours forevermore.
our prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677.